This week, though, uh, we're starting a brand new series on the book of Judges called Such a Great Salvation or So Great a Salvation. And uh, Judges is an interesting book um, because at a cursory reading, uh, there's some things that maybe you might struggle with in, in our day and age. And I mean, there's always stuff that you're going to struggle with in the Bible. But even from, even from an ethical standpoint, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cover some of that, but some of these beginning chapters make it seem like God has sent his people on a religious crusade. And uh, we have to tackle these issues together um, and think through them. But before we even get to the heavy stuff, I want to know about you. How many of you would be willing to say, I am at times flaky? Do you know what I mean by flaky? Come on, somebody, raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar, all right? Because we're all flaky, right? I mean, just think about it. One of the things that uh, Camden kind of chuckles with me is if she sends me to the store for something, anything, it's, it's typically a really long trip for me. Um, not necessarily because... I just have to go pick up like taco seasoning. But when I go to the taco aisle and there's like a whole thing of taco seasoning, I I feel like I have to read what each taco seasoning is because you want to make the best decision. Now, it doesn't matter in taco seasoning. However, when you go, it matters a little bit. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. It matters more than a little bit. It's a big difference in the taco game. And as much as Malachi likes tacos, it matters. But there's some other things that, that when you're flaky on it matters, right? Like in your parenting. Oh, you didn't want me to go there? <laughs> Listen, I'm a bad offender, right? Flaky. We sang a song today that said, you know, I have experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And this is the life that we live, isn't it? This, this is the description of the way we live our life. Look at the Bible. Look at every character in the Bible. We're going to look at judges, and we're going to talk about these judges that God raised up, God raised up, that were just blubbering failures. Horrible. Just think through some of them. Samson, strongest guy around. I mean, was was killing thousands of animals and, and able to kill thousands of humans with his bare hands. And a woman, it's always the women. I'm just kidding. But think, think about it. Because of the lust in his heart, failed miserably at what God called him to do. And yet, God still used him to do what he called him to do. Look at Gideon, hiding. You've picked the wrong guy. It's one of my favorite stories. Where's Gideon? I don't know. He's He's hiding. In the wine press, and God comes in and says, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, I'm the only one in here. What are you talking about? But this is our life. If you get up in the morning and look in the mirror and just set aside the narcissism that each of us has, we all have a little bit, and take an honest look at who you are and what you're capable of, It's a humbling experience. And what we want to do this morning is take an introduction look at the first two chapters of Judges and glean from that why this is such a great salvation. 
because one of the things that's tempting, or at least it was for me growing up, was to read these stories about Israel. And it's just, you can't help but be tempted to think, man, I mean, God like showed up for them in so many ways. I mean, he sent manna from heaven. He sent uh, the Moses to part the Red Sea. I mean, can you imagine walking on dry ground with giant walls of water next to you? But then if you get honest with yourself and you start to look at your life and, and look at the ways that God has shown up in your life, some of you, your salvation story is a miracle. Some of you, your family story is a miracle. And we could all go through that. And what's fascinating is that the God who wrote Judges is the God who lives in your life and is Lord of your life. And I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we forget that the God who came and said, Gideon, you're an amazing man of valor, is the same person that comes to you and says that you can do all things through me who strengthens you. And sometimes we look at that from a perspective of what I can do and we get mixed up and, and, and muddy on the fact that it's not about what you can do, it's about what God can do through you. And so we want to look at that today. Um, but as you come here, what's fascinating about Israel is Israel was a group of believers who lived in a pagan culture. All through the Old Testament, they lived in a pagan culture. But, but here's the difference. They weren't supposed to. They weren't supposed to. When, when God told them that he was going to give them the promised land, part of the, part of the thing that they were supposed to go and do was to go into the promised land and clean house. They were supposed to destroy everyone and everything, and God was really clear about it. We'll talk about the ethical side of that in a minute. But what we're going to see is that Israel didn't do exactly that. And we're going to talk about that today. But as we, we move into here, look at, look at Judges chapter 1, and uh, starting in verse 1. Here's how it starts. It says, after the death of Joshua, uh, some would say that everything rises and falls on leadership. And in some sense, that's true. I think there's a caveat to, to everything that, that's not true. But in this sense, it was true. If you go back and look at Joshua, it says that uh, they were following the Lord. You, you remember the scene in Joshua where he stands up before the people and he says, Choose this day who you're going to serve. The Lord or your idols. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And to this day, it's over top of people's fireplaces. It's over top of people's doors. Ben has one in his. And, uh, because that's what it boiled down to for Israel. Who are you going to serve? And so they tell Joshua, we, we will serve the Lord. We will go with you. Lead us. And, and he did. And uh, not perfectly, but they were following the Lord. And here's what happens. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites inquired of the Lord. Things are going well. They were inquiring of the Lord. And they said, who will be the first to fight for us against the Canaanites? And the Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have handed the land over to him. Stop. Who handed the land? Who handed the land? This is, this is, this is crowd participation. You are allowed to speak in church. God did, right? God did. God handed the land. It's going to be important as we keep reading. 
Verse 4, drop down to verse 4. When Judah attacked, the Lord handed the Canaanites and Perizzites over to them. They struck down 10,000 men in Bezek. Drop to verse 6. When Adonai Bezek fled, they pursued him, caught him, and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Why did they do that? Adonai Bezek said 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, used to pick up scraps under my table. God has repaid me for what I have done. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Drop down to verse 19. The Lord was with Judah and enabled them to take possession of the hill country. And now listen to this. But they could not drive out the people who were living in the valley because those people had iron chariots. Now, this is going to be a transition point for the nation of Israel because what we're seeing here is that they're following God's directions. And the Bible doesn't mince words because you come here to verse 19 and it says the Lord was with them, able them to take possession of the hill. But they could not drive out the people. If I can add a parenthesis that's not inspired and just say yet. Yet. Okay, and that's going to be important. And uh, the first thing I want you to see, and if you look in your notes there, the first thing that we're going to talk about is this. Small compromises lead to big consequences. Small compromises lead to big consequences. And it's happening here to Israel because if you drop to the next part there, look at verse 21, just real briefly, it says, at the same time. Lift up your voice and say, same time. Okay, because this is the way we live our life. God has given us direction, instruction, grace. We sing a song sometimes called Grace on Top of Grace. Over and over again, God is gracious. He was gracious in giving us His Word. We have the answers. And yet, at the same time, at the same time, listen to this. Judah is doing what they're supposed to do. They're taking possession of the land. They're seeing God work. Israel, the nation, is seeing this happen. And in that culture, and you can read other places in the Bible, they celebrated these things. But is this not the testimony of the human race, listen to this, at the same time, the Benjaminites, what? Did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. The Jebusites have lived among the Benjamites in Jerusalem to this day. Small compromises have big consequences. Why was this such a big consequence? God told his people to drive everyone out. Why? Because God created us, we fell into sin, and He knows us. Why did God tell them to drive everybody out? Why was that small compromise that the Benjaminites were making, and as we'll see in the next few verses, that the whole country ends up making, why was that such a big deal? Because for centuries... 
they would then be living in a pagan culture. They would then be living in a pagan culture. And we're going to see in a minute why that was such a big deal. Why leaving the presence of idols in your life is such a big deal. It's a huge deal. Small compromises. Because they went from could not to would not. But let, let's drop out of that story for a second. Let's talk about the ethical side. Okay? Um, it's, we might be tempted to wonder why Israel would be sent in by God to wipe out entire people groups. Because if, if you and I are honest in our humanity, what, what's one of the first things that pops into your mind? Well, aren't there innocent people there? I mean, what about the children? It's a t- that's, a, that's a legitimate question. It's a good question. What, what about that? But perhaps Francis Chan says it better than I can. Here, here's what he says. When I come to something that I don't agree with in the Bible, I just go ahead and assume that I'm wrong. <laughs> Why? We talk about it a lot here. Because God's ways are higher than your ways. And what does the Bible say? Past finding out. I'm going to give you an answer. But it might not be the answer that you would like God to have given you. Welcome to your life. Welcome to one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true. Because if we can figure out everything about God, He isn't God. If God is not higher than me, we are all in trouble. Okay, so I don't, I don't want the answer I'm about to give you to, as it falls short to you, to make you feel like God hasn't been sufficient. Because it is, in fact, in the way that God is working beyond our understanding that undergirds everything that we know about God. (laughs) And he has given answers. And in this specific text, we don't even have to look farther than the king of that land that was conquered. You remember what he said. He said, God has repaid me for my wickedness. If we had time, we'd go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and and we'd be reminded that God is using Israel as an instrument of judgment. That God is bringing judgment on these nations that deserve judgment. And that the land was full of wickedness. And yeah, the kids that were born into that probably didn't have much of a choice in that. But we see, even in the Ten Commandments, that the sins of the Father are visited on generations. Small compromises lead to big consequences, not just for you, but for your family. Not just for you, but for your neighbors. What do you mean by that? By not being willing to talk to your neighbors about Jesus, you are, by association, bringing a consequence. And I know all the arguments. I know that God is sovereign. And I know that John chapter 6 says, whoever the, the Spirit draws will come. I know that. And God will accomplish His work, but it doesn't negate the responsibility that you have to obey His Word. And we may not be able to explain completely why that's true, but we have to trust it because God said it. It's very clear here that God says, I will give you the land. I gave you the land. I gave possession to Judah. But what did it say? You have to go and attack. 
there were other times where God just does all of it, right? <laughs> Even for Gideon, he was so scared, God just said, I'll just do it, man. You just break your pot. <laughs> and then they killed themselves. But there were other times where God required their faithful obedience. Go in and attack and get rid of everything. We're going to come to a story in a couple of weeks about Achan. A guy who made a small compromise and God killed his family. Did his kids decide to bury that stuff under his tent? No. If you're a man here today, you, you should know that the decisions you make have great consequences. And small compromises. You know, I, I, I sometimes get the question like, you know, or not the question, people tell me that, they're just their their family doesn't want to come or they're they're busy or men small compromises lead to big consequences somebody gave me really good advice in in parenting and we'll see if it holds out true my oldest is only 7 but it's working so far you can fight the battles now when they're small or you can fight the battles later when they're older, and it'll be a whole lot harder. And so, we can look in a million places as to why this is true. But what we understand is that what we receive in eternity is so much greater than what we receive here. Even in the ethical side, in that you know, one of the things that's important to remember about God is He's not bound by time like we are. There's coming a final day of judgment where God can make things right that you and I can't make right. That God can, as He did in the life of Joseph, take what was meant for evil and use it for good. God is able to do things that we are not able to do. As far as innocent people dying, listen to what Revelation 6.10 says. It says they cried out with a loud voice. Oh, sovereign Lord. They're, they're recognizing that God's in control. Lord, the one who is holy and true. How long until you judge those who live on earth and avenge our blood? God is in control. And it wasn't a question of will you. The question was when will you? And we have the same question. We can look around our world and, and say, God, when will you put a stop to this? God's not afraid of your questions. And usually, God has an answer. We may not always like the answer, but you don't always like your dad's answer either. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Israel. God's given them directions to follow with a promise. I've already given you victory. Can I just point out that God has given you instructions with a promise that he has already given you victory? We, we say it this way here that you obey from victory, not for victory. You obey because you've been saved, not to be saved. There's a huge difference in that mindset. And that's where Israel is because 
as time goes on and life continues to go, we start to experience and they start to experience some kind of spiritual amnesia. We just kind of forget everything that God did. It's so easy to do. It's easy for you to do. It's easy for me to do. Just sitting here right now is a miracle. <laughs> Every now and then people ask me like, what would you do to get the church started? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I started a small group. And the commitment was just, we're going to ask God what He wants to do. We're going to study His Word. And what does Jesus say? I will build my church. But who does He use to build the church? He looked at Peter. Peter of all people. Who just a week later was going to cuss somebody out for telling him that he knew Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to build, your ch- I'm going to build my church and I'm going to use you to do it, Peter. Peter was like, oh. And like one sentence later, God looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's where we live, though. That's where we live. This is the guy that was going to be, you know, that's like a huge reason why I don't think Peter's the Pope. <laughs> Satan. No. But, this is where we live. And so, it goes on here. And, and let, let's not miss the fact that what was seemingly insignificant, because think about it, even though they didn't drive them out, Israel took possession of the land. These people weren't speaking into their decision-making. These people weren't um, leading the nation. They, they weren't uh, instructing the king. It was seemingly insignificant. But small compromises lead to big consequences because go on here and uh, look down at verse 27 of chapter 1. It says, At that time Manasseh failed to take possession of Beth Shean and Tanakh and their surrounding villages or the residents of Dor, Iblium and Megiddo and their surrounding villages. The Canaanites were determined to stay in this land. When Israel, and, he, and here it is. Here it is, right? When Israel became stronger. See, what was a could not is now a would not. Is that not true in your life and mine? There are times when you, when you look at your situation and you say, I can't. When God might look at you and say, oh, but you won't. Is there an area in your life where you're making a small compromise and you're just saying, God, God I, just, I can't do that. I, I can't give. I can't uh, serve. I can't do this. I can't do that. When God would look at you and say, you can, but you won't. Look at what they do. When Israel became stronger, they made the Canaanites serve as forced labor, but never drove them out completely. What's the idol in your heart? What is the unconquered territory in your heart that God is asking you to trust Him, that God's asking you to believe Him, and you're not? Drive them out completely. And then the next eight verses are dedicated to listing the failures. Listing the failures, listing the failures of where they would not do what God had called them to do. Seemingly insignificant. But then the Bible goes on in verse number 
15, and it finishes this way. So they suffered greatly. Sometimes the suffering in our life is because we're serving the Lord. It's very clear. New Testament, New Testament says anyone who desires to live a godly life will suffer persecution. But there's also a lot of times that we suffer because of our decision making. Because in fact, sometimes the punishment of God is the love of God in your life. What honorable father would not punish his children to teach them the greater lesson? You see, we often jump to, if my kid was in the street and I yelled at them, I would expect them to get out of the street, right? But what happens if they've never been punished before that and they've never been trained to listen to your voice? They stay in the street and they get hit by a car. The Bible says that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they know me. Why is that so significant? Because what happens when the culture comes to you and says, marriage is this. And now you suddenly have to navigate with love and discernment how to love people but not make a compromise that God never asked you to compromise on. Oh, that's why it was important for me to read my Bible every day. That's why it was important for me to be on my face before God praying every day. And we could go to a million examples. Let's, let's take another one that, that's even less uh, obvious in Scripture. Well, what about the refugees that come in? From a political standpoint, from a America making more money, how do, how do I act? But what about when God says, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with me? Oh, well, now it matters that I haven't made any small compromises in my thinking. And I'm not giving you an answer right now. I'm just telling you that there are issues that if you have walked away from God here, when you come back here and there's a major issue, and you, you can't figure out why you can't hear from God, that might be why. Because here's what it boils down to, the second thing I want you to see in the text, is that you have a choice between the God who saves or your gods who enslave. We make that choice every day of our life. At the root of our heart, we have an idolatry problem. And unbelief creeps in and stems down into our heart. And what it boils down to is that we know intellectually that God saves and that He's enough, but when it comes into your practical life, is it not really hard to really believe that? That God will satisfy all of my needs? That I don't have to look for it somewhere else? Just think about it. Money promises you a carefree life and you pursue it only to find that there's no end to that. And that it destroys families and it destroys relationships and the lines of integrity get very blurry when it comes to money. Think about fame. Even if it's just among your friends, teenagers, think about that. Even if it's just among your friends, 
you pursue that just to find out that they're after the same thing you are. And it's only if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. There's no end to that. Moms and dads, you look around at other families and you, you see the highlight reel of, of the way kids, their kids are or their house looks or there's this, when in reality we're all on the same playing field. It's endless. I go on and on and on. But you understand. You know. We make a choice. Look at uh, Judges chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Let's drop back to verse 2. Start in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Here's what God tells them. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. The same is true in our culture. We can either tear down the altars before us, or they'll become a trap to us. Drop down to verse 11. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord. Have you abandoned the Lord for something else? They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them, and they angered the Lord. Oh, God, my God's not supposed to get angry. He gets angry. Look at verse 14. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. Small compromises choosing the gods over God lead to big consequences. Pretty bleak picture at this point. And the truth is, when before you met Christ, if you don't know Christ today, the picture is very bleak. Other scriptures say, apart from God, you can do nothing. The wages of sin is death. But aren't you glad that in every text of Scripture where you find the bad news, you are never far from the good news? Oh, I better I could get a bigger amen than that. That's the story of your life if you know Christ. That for all the bad, 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 and for all the me, 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 we don't get the last word. Listen to what happens here. Point number three, if you're taking notes, you cannot outrun the love of God. We just read where Israel's at. But now look where God's at. I don't think I put this in there, but look at verse 16 if you have it open in your stuff. I don't think it's on the screen. 
notice that it just said that the Lord's anger burned against them. I don't know about you, but when my anger is burning against somebody, it is a long time before I come around (laughs) to where I ought to be in forgiveness. But here's God's anger burning against them. Whenever they go out, the Lord is against them. Brought disaster on them. They're suffering greatly. But look at the very next verse. Verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders. Look down at verse 18. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved with pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. You can never outrun the love of God. Israel was trying. They were trying to run from the love of God. But aren't you glad that your actions don't get you kicked out of the family? We would all be out of the family. (laughs) We'd be gone. But God doesn't work the way that we work. In verse 1 and verse 15, we kind of get something that seems contradictory. In verse 1 of chapter 2, God says, you know, I'm making a covenant with you and I will save you and I will give you the land and I will take care of you. Then in verse 15, God says, just like I promised, I'm going to take you out, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to... What is that all about? What is the tension there? I told you that it's never far away that you're from good news. In Genesis chapter 15, I want to tell you about the covenant that God made with his people. He made the covenant with Noah in the ark. And even in all that great destruction, God brought good. When uh, God comes to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham was very old. (laughs) His wife thought it was funny. But God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Your descendants are going to be like the sand of the sea, which was a huge deal in that culture. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God. Hebrews tells us that faith was credited to him because of that. But what happens is in that culture, they would seal their covenant in some way. And so God tells Abraham, we're going to seal our covenant. And it was a, a... a ceremony called the cleaving of the animals. You can Google it later. Cleaving of the animals. And what happened, basically, I'm going to give you the cliff notes, is that God told them, let me get my animals right, God told them to get a cow, a goat, a ram, a pigeon, and a dove. And he said, Abraham, cut them in half, all the animals, cut them in half, and line them up on two sides. Take the halves, split them, and all the blood would run down into the middle, and it would create a little bit of a river of blood. And then when you were going to seal a covenant, come here, Jake, you would go, like if these were dead animals, you aren't dead animals, I understand. But uh, you would take that person and you would walk through the blood and it would splash up on both of you. And it was a sign that whoever uh, didn't keep the covenant, that blood was what you were willing to accept because you broke the covenant. The blood was, you know, you've heard the saying, uh, the blood's on your hands. That's where it comes from. So you made a covenant with somebody and the blood was literally on you. If I don't keep this covenant, I am going to pay with my life. But let me tell you about the God of the Bible. So God tells Abraham, we're going to do this cleaving of the animals and we're going to seal this covenant. And 
as they move up to the animals, the Bible says that Abraham suddenly, the Bible says, suddenly fell fast asleep. I can imagine that happening. You go up to sign, come in, you know, just plop. But here's what's incredible. They're supposed to seal this covenant. And instead of Abraham and God walking through, God causes Abraham to fall asleep. How many of you know nothing happens suddenly in God's economy? Abraham falls fast asleep, and what does God do? God walks through for both of them. God walks through for both of them and says, even though you can't keep your side of the covenant, I'll keep mine, and I'm going to send Jesus to keep yours for you. You can go study Genesis 15, and uh, you see two different uh, aspects of God walk through. And uh, I believe it's Jesus and the Father walking for you, that Jesus would pay the penalty he would live the life that you couldn't live. That he would pay the penalty that you couldn't pay to satisfy the Father. And the Father would say, because of Jesus, you are adopted into my family. And that's what the gospel is. It's good news. You've been given instructions <laughs> Follow the instructions. Small compromises lead to big consequences in the choice that you make to serve God or your gods. But let it not confuse you that even though you can't, God has. And that it's because He has that over and over and over and over again, God will take you back and set your feet in the way that he wants you to go and he'll forgive you and you can walk with him. There will be consequences because even though vertically your standing never changes with God, horizontally your choices have consequences. And the Bible says that God punishes those that he loves. What I didn't tell you is that that, that recap of, Genesis, of Judges 1 and 2 is about a 350-year span. <laughs> so for them, it felt like a long time. For you, it might feel like a long time. A long road back to favor. But just know that God is not bound by our time. As we close and the band comes up, I want to take you back to the three points. And I just want to ask you some pointed questions about your life. That as you examine your heart today, because that, that's, that's what you have to do. You have to look inside your own heart and ask yourself those three questions. Am I making small compromises? And the reality is that sometimes you can't see them all. Am I making small compromises in some area of my life that I need to stop? That I need to change? Can I just suggest that today that you would confess your sin? Confess it. Forever blows my mind at how 
unwilling sometimes I am to just confess my sin. Make the small change now. You know this principle. You live this principle. You teach this principle to your kids. But we're so often guilty of not making the small changes that we know we need to make so that it doesn't lead to bigger consequences. And here's the deal. As a believer, you can find friendship and accountability right here. One of the beautiful aspects of the body of Christ is that we bear each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. God knows you can't do it alone. He knows that I can't do it alone. But don't complain when the consequence comes when you wouldn't take the necessary steps when God gave you the opportunity. Because He will. And so to figure out if you're making small compromises, you got to ask yourself, which God am I serving? serving the God who saves? Or am I serving all these little gods that have put me in slavery? See, because that's the lie of the devil is that all of these things that you can choose for yourself to be free actually put you in slavery. Maybe you're just thinking today, like, I'm just not even going to make a choice. Like, I'm not religious. I'm just going to I'm not going to bother anybody. I'm just going to leave everybody to do their own thing. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. Well, that's, it doesn't work. (laughs) It's just a lie. You will make choices that will affect you and others, regardless of how hard you try. Can't escape it because we're all worshipers. We all worship something. And just a third simple question. Maybe somebody here today is running from God. You're just running from God. You're just ignoring the signposts along the way. It's time to just pull over and recognize that the Spirit's drawing you to Himself. I like the way Tim Keller says it in his commentary on Judges. He says, Jesus is the only God who, if you find Him, will satisfy you and if you fail him will forgive you and if you run from him will pursue you your other gods won't but Jesus will